welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. I'm super excited here to have uh, an absolute subject matter expert, globally recognized, Mr. Rob O'Byrne. O'Byrne, is that how I'm pronouncing that? O'Byrne, it's this weird O'Byrne. Irish name. Yeah, it's Well, as a Scotsman, uh, Donaldson, I mean, uh, now, now Irish. I mean, we've got some, uh, we got history now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, real pleasure to have you today. Thanks for so much for sitting in and, you know, definitely want to jump into this and, and talk a, you know, a lot about your experience and, 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 you know, looking back through your history here. And, and as you even put it, 40 years of being in the industry and, you know, really more specifically focusing on consulting, it really looks like over the last 30 some odd years, you know, uh, I think your perspective on what's been happening over the last few decades leading up to where we are today is going to be a really interesting perspective. So um, we'd love to just start kick off with, uh, if you don't mind, telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of, kind of, you know, how you went from, uh, if, I, if I got this right, uh, uh, learning how to do explosives early on, uh, either in college or <laughs> somewhere early I saw there, to getting into supply chain. Yeah, I was a rowdy kid. Yeah. Um, no, I... So many people, when you ask them, how did you get into supply chain? It kind of happened by accident. Um, Isn't that the norm? Same. Yeah, it was the same with me. So um, actually, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the short version of a very long story. But uh, I, I was basically one of these kids who was not suited to school life. So uh, I was invited to uh, seek my fortune elsewhere at the age of 15. Very expensive school. Right. Um, so it, it wasn't quite go to jail or join the army, but it was close to that. So I actually joined the army at the age of 15. And um, I, I think I must have done quite well on the entrance test because they said, which job do you want? Wow. <laughs> I said, which one pays the most? Wow. And they said, well, it's logistics with a twist because you have to work in explosives. And, and now and again, you have to be a bomb tech and go and do bomb disposal work. And I said, well, that, that's fine. If that's got oh the biggest God. pay, I'll take that one. Wow. Um, so I, I ended up actually uh, in what is now known as the Royal Logistics Corps, so specializing in logistics. Um, so it's embarrassing to say, but I've actually been in logistics since 1975. Oh my um, so military logistics was really interesting um, because, you know, it's big scale stuff. Um, so I specialized in uh, dangerous goods, explosives and so on. So, so that led me into some interesting things. So uh, I claimed to being a nuclear rocket engineer for a couple of years, looking after uh, nuclear rockets in uh, West Germany during the Cold War. Wow. So the logistics of those things was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and then foolishly, the army decided to send me uh, off to Cranfield University in the UK to study a master's in logistics. And that just opened up a whole new world. So mm -hmm. um, it was far more fascinating than mil military logistics. So uh, within two years, I, I decided to leave and uh, headed out to Australia and I got into consulting. Um, so I, I was working with a consulting company for two or three years, then started my own consulting business in 1997. Mm -hmm. A few years later, I bought the one that I'd originally joined, which is uh, always fun. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, since 97, I've been involved in consulting and education and supply chain. So, And, and, and if I could, so, so, I mean, given that sort of perspective as a consultant and looking outside in in companies that you've worked with, what have you seen? Because you, you really were at the formate. I mean, not only did you fall into supply chain like a lot of us, but you fell in it right at the time when supply chain was just in its early days, right? Oh, it wasn't uh, even a word when I got into it. I mean, right, right. Um, you know, logistics was the new word. 
Right. Yeah, so um, it's been interesting, you know, if looking over the last 40 years or so, what have been the trends? And, and it's interesting from two perspectives, because without sounding like we really haven't moved forward at all, a lot of the consulting work that we're doing now is not dissimilar to what we were doing 20 years ago. So pe people are still worried about um, having efficiency in their warehouses and making sure they're laid out properly and they've got the right processes. People are still concerned about outsourcing logistics and doing that right. Uh, they're still worried about um, you know, being uh, competitive, obviously, in the marketplace and trying to streamline their supply chains. So all, all of those fundamental things are still challenges for business. Mm -hmm. But of course, overlaid on top of that in the last decade or so, um, I suppose the biggest changes have been around technology, uh, automation in the supply chain, um, you know, much better systems, planning systems, demand forecasting systems. Um, and I think what's happened, particularly in the last 10 years or so, is this focus on cost reduction and being competitive has really driven uh, that, that need for rationalization in the supply chain. So, and, and, and the increased globalization that we've seen in our supply chains. So you know, manufacturing sites were rationalized. It, it would be, we don't need five factories in this country. We'll do three, then two, then one, then heck, we don't even need them at all. We'll put them in China. Um, you see that as well in, in the actual uh, distribution center networks. A lot of companies now will have regional hubs with just smaller satellite warehouses in, in each country. Um, sourcing has probably been the biggest thing over the last decade or two. Um, coupled with that reduction of local manufacturing, of course, now sourcing is predominantly overseas. You know, China is one of the big sourcing countries, of course, India. Pakistan, Bangladesh, Vietnam, Thailand. So that, that's been a massive trend. Um, and yeah, trying to uh, utilize automation better to reduce labor costs, um, the adoption of SNOP, things like that, better planning systems has really taken off in the last 10 years. But I, I think, you know, what we've, what we were being focused on for the last 10 years or so is it's it's let's be leaner, let's be, let's get our lower, lowest cost possible per unit through the supply chain. Uh, and we've, we've ended up with very extended supply chains. And that, of course, was tragic when the yeah, pandemic. Oh, I, 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 absolutely. And so, so what's interesting about that and that perspective is, um, you know, supply chains, you know, for, from a lot of people, including, I, I would also think yourself is, you know, they've, they've been sort they, the irony is that they, if a supply chain organization exists in the enterprise, it controls the biggest part of the enterprise's budget, right? But has the least amount of credibility and has always been viewed as a cost center, right? It's always about reduction of costs, right? Leaning everything out. So we know consistently that the supply chains, you know, through lack of transparency and inefficiencies have had to overcompensate by bloating themselves a little bit, right? Just because they need a bunch of spares and things like that sitting around just in case something breaks in that supply chain. But it's always about cost, cost cutting and cost cutting. So do you think that that's changing? So there's a couple parts to this question. One, you know, the supply chain organization is changing in its visibility within the organization. I think you're seeing that now, and I'd love your thoughts on that. And then second to that, the expectations around the supply chain organization aren't just about cost cutting anymore. Are, you know, what are the other things that the supply chain, you know, the organizations are asking these supply chain teams to actually take on, right? I think there's some, some, something to that as well. Yeah, and I think that 
that elevation of the supply chain role has been happening probably over the last five years. Right. Um, and the importance of supply chain is much more recognized now in the boardroom. And of course, if you're talking to major retailers, they've known this for decades. You know, the business right. foundation is supply chain. Right. Um, but that recognition that has really come to the fore in the last few years. Um, and I mean, this year, everybody now knows what supply chain is about. Right. Um, and they know the importance of it. So I suppose the, the expectation of supply chain now, it's, it's, it's not just the cost center. It's the, it's the part of the business that can ensure uh, customer services maintained. It's the part of the business that can drive improved profitability. Um, because as you're saying, one of the major costs in a business, if, if you take in procurement and cost of goods, is the supply chain. Yep. And, and if we can do that efficiently, if we can reduce cost in that, all of that's going straight to the bottom line. Right. And, and funnily enough, just, just prior to this, we were doing a webinar on cost to serve, which is my favorite oh. topic in supply right. chain. Okay. Um, and, it, and it was incredible. 70% of the people on the webinar, you know, there's like 800 people registered on this webinar. 70% had not undertaken any kind of cost to serve analysis in their business. Huh. Um, and I was imploring them, you know, I saw, if you want to be a supply chain hero, you've got to understand this stuff because that is where the gold is. Right. Um, it, it's, it's a very simple analysis technique that, that a lot of people don't adopt. Um, and it's a, it's a great way to not just reduce costs in the supply chain, but improve service um, and really add to the bottom line big time. Right. So I, I think that recognition is starting to come now. So... I think people, and, and particularly, you know, the last six months has helped with this. People now look to the supply chain for answers and, and they realize the capability of the supply chain to be able to really change the direction of the business. Um, so so are, you, are you seeing a theme as far as, because you, you, again, you've had this, you know, incredible pers you know, perspective by being asked by enterprises over the decades to come in and do consulting work to, address costs or the supply chain or the supply chain organization, you know, what are the things that you're seeing now that sort of correspond to that? Not only the elevation of the supply chain team or rethinking supply chain or, you know, lowering costs, cost to serve, um, you know, even looking at, you know, potentially generating money, right, on the disposition process, which I think is often left out of the equation, but that's a part of the supply chain, asset lifecycle management and disposition, which is often left off the table. What are you seeing now of those things that people are asking you? Of course, you know, digital technology, but, you know, what, 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 what is the theme within that that companies are asking you to come in and do? Or is it just as general as, hey, we know supply chain is important. We don't know what to do. <laughs> that, could be, that could be also <laughs> what's happening. There's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I probably have to have those conversations a week. Yep. Um, you know, we're not coping. And, and it's the basics. Right. Um, you know, I had that very conversation with a, with a, uh, a company yesterday who uh, provide personal care products. Um, you know, our inventory is through the roof, our demand's up, we, we're not tracking our inventory properly, we're, our production runs are running out of raw materials, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, that's just basics, but it's exacerbated by the current situation because so many businesses are seeing demand just go through the roof. You know, sadly, some have gone through the floor, uh, but it's incredible to see the number of businesses where the demand has significantly jumped in the last few months. And that is putting very basic supply chain processes under an enormous amount of pressure. Mm -hmm. so, so that's, that's, if you like, at the, the lower level of maturity. 
the bigger, smarter, you know, national and multinational businesses are now, it, it's interesting, they're still looking at the things they were looking at last year. Mm -hmm. So COVID hasn't really impacted them. You know, mm -hmm. so the last six months hasn't impacted them significantly in their longer term plans. So they're still going ahead with reconfiguring distribution networks, uh, implementing new systems, uh, looking at uh, automation and AI and so on, because those are longer term projects. They understand that those still need to happen. Mm -hmm. I suppose what they're doing those that there's still that little bit of sort of firefighting day to day going on just because of the rather volatile nature of the market at the moment. So right. I, I guess to answer your question, 50 or 60% of what we're doing is probably the standard stuff. Mm -hmm. But because companies are under a lot more pressure, it's become more of an issue for them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and 30 or 40% maybe is longer term planning, which is being reshaped a little bit by the last mm -hmm. six months and the uncertainty of the future. And, and another part that I know you're heavily involved in is the education aspect of this because there's the consulting aspect but you do a lot of education as well too i see a lot of you know as you put it webinars i know you've got a robust kind of education program that's a part of your affiliate you know i'll call it your affiliation of consultancies that are out there so you put a lot of you know incredible content uh, out there from an education standpoint what are you seeing as far as the people themselves and how they're changing right supply chain personnel are they adapting, right? Or they're being asked to adapt or what's different about their job functions today in today's environment with all this change that's happening that's different from the supply chain professional say 10 or 20 years ago, right? Because I think there's also uh, more expectation around these uh, functions and these people um, that's asking them to do more than just, you know, hey, cut costs and make sure stuff shows up on time. What, 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 what are you seeing in that sense? I, I think the major change has probably been in the last two to three years. Okay. And it probably comes down to the understanding of technology, systems, and particularly analytics. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting you talk about, you know, consulting versus education. I think they go very much hand in hand. Yep. And, I, and I think any good consulting company should be doing the best that they can to help share knowledge with their clients and, and you know, build the internal client capability as well. Um, I mean, I, I, I love knowledge sharing, so it's a little bit crazy. I run four YouTube channels and yeah. talk books, I think. I can't remember. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's great, I think, to be able to, to share knowledge uh, and to help companies improve their, their operations, but more importantly, to help individuals do well in the supply chain. So, right. sure, people still need to know uh, the basics, but the big change, I think, is around the analytics area. Okay. Um, we have a couple of people in our business who are just amazing at building stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you, know, you know, online tools to to analyze inventory, to to look, you know, provide benchmarking, to all, all sorts of diagnostic tools, which are fantastic. Um, and those are the sorts of things now that the fresh generation of supply chain managers coming through are doing as a matter of course. Right. So, so they're learning programs like R and just developing. Um, you know, analytical tools in-house, they're, they're far more literate mm -hmm. in terms of data. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look back 10 years ago, being a good supply chain manager was about understanding the operations, understanding your metrics, keeping keeping a, a tight grip of the costs. It's a lot more than that now. It's, it's yep. all of that. Plus being able to look into the future a bit. Right. And, uh, I think that's where we're going to see huge advances in technologies and systems looking at things like predictive analytics, mm -hmm. uh, 
So I think the new generation of supply chain managers are bringing that tech savviness, if you like, um, which, which they probably have more of a natural ability to uh, for, but it's absolutely critical going forward. Right. Well, it's a forcing function, right? I mean, one of the things that efficiency or lack thereof within supply chain has largely uh, been identified um, that can be changed through technology and technology adoption. So the digitization of the supply chain and operations was a trend to your point pre-COVID and it's only accelerated through COVID and post COVID's, you know, going to be everything, right? I mean, I, you know, the, the, the time collapse, you know, I was thinking the next three to five years where you're going to see big strides in sort of the initial steps for technology innovation. I think it's going to be the next 12 to 18 months now uh, because of what COVID's done to that. So kind of looking into that and talking, you know, I don't know if you get into the specifics with people, um, but certainly using technology, but that tends to be nebulous, right? Meaning, you know, a lot of people come up and like, okay, I get it. I need to use technology, but what does that actually really mean? Have you spent any time thinking about, you know, or advising or talking to your supply chain uh, um, uh, clients and enterprises, what does that mean to adopt technology? How do they even start that process? Have you kind of given them that sort of framework? Yeah, no, of I, I, I think te technology can be applied at all different levels. Uh -huh. um, people get confused between technology and automation. So right. uh, in its very simplest form, uh, you know, what we've seen over the last few years is increased use of technology in warehousing, for example. So a lot okay. more automation. Okay. Uh, that's now um, expanding into robotics. And of course, the trap here is that people think I need robots in my warehouse, I need all this advanced technology. Um, but we tend to forget sometimes that every country is different, every, every economy is different. All of that stuff makes sense if you're in a very high labor cost environment. Right. It makes absolutely no sense if you're not. Right. Uh, so there's that lower level of technology. Uh, I think then you've, you've got the sort of intermediate level um, where we're seeing much better use of technology and things like forecasting. Mm -hmm. uh, there are still a huge swathe of companies that are shocking at forecasting, getting very poor forecasting accuracy. Um, it was interesting. I had a discussion with a lady the other day who's passionate about inventory and forecasting. And she said, people don't understand every forecast is wrong. Right, right. It is. It's about getting as close as we can, but they're always going to be wrong. Um, and so we have to be prepared for that and, and deal with that. So, yeah, I, th I think particularly around, you know, demand forecasting, sales and operations planning and so on, that's, that's really where we've seen a big leap in technology. And then you've probably got the upper layer. And what's that about? This is about machine learning. It's about AI. It's using technology in really smart ways so that we're not looking over our shoulder at historical demand and trying to predict <clears throat> excuse me, what's going to happen in the future. We're, we're making the future. Right. Um, I mean, it's crazy to, to, I don't think we can actually work on this historical demand model for much longer. Um, the, the environment is much more volatile these days. We, we need to be able to, to predict. So, I mean, it's not new, but a wonderful example that I came across was the use of, um, I don't know whether you have them in your shopping malls, but as you go into the car parks, you get those little red and green lights and it shows you, you know, there's a green light down there, there's a parking space. Well, that's a really interesting technology because if you wire that up to the weather forecast, you can start to plot the flow of cars in and out of the shopping malls based on the weather. So here in Australia, all the kids go and play sports on Saturdays. If it's a wet day, you think, uh-uh, they're going to be into the shopping malls earlier. 
in bigger numbers, uh, you know, we can start to predict the traffic through the food courts, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So I think that that's really sort of an interesting area then of technology and how we can use it in much smarter ways. And, and that's where we're seeing the use of digital twins and things like that. So we can feed our demand through an artificial digital representation of our supply chain and start to play scenarios on what might be happening. So it's a lot more forward focused than this view that we've traditionally had in the supply chain of driving the ship by looking over our shoulder and looking at the wake. You know, that's, that's pretty crazy. Well, you, you, well, you, well, absolutely. And you keyed on the term there. So digital twin, right? That's one we see a lot of. We've actually written a few few pieces on that as well. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double click on that one with you because I, I, I believe through, through just experience and now kind of seeing, seeing people out there, you know, one of the ways to sort of even begin to start thinking about technology adoption is in fact adopting a digital twin philosophy or strategy. Right. Um, that seems to me when you talk about that lower layer, like you've got to be able to have a digital, a digital representation of your assets, your warehouses, your logistics, where things are in the system. And it's, a, it's going to be a painful process, but that's the foundation because all the other things that sit on top of that machine learning, blockchain, whatever else you want to abstract at that higher level, uh, AI won't be able to get the best out of it until you have a complete digital twin model of your supply chain. Um, and you can do those things concurrently, but I'd, I'd love for you to just, you know, your thoughts on digital twin, because that, because you made the comment, I, I, I believe that's one of the top things that people are thinking about or should be thinking about. I'd love your thoughts on that. No, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when we look at the consulting work that we do, a lot of it is using really sort of specialized software packages to optimize supply chains. So I, I spent half my life managing projects where we're looking at very complex supply chains and routes to market. We are digitally modeling that. We're running scenarios over it. What if demand goes up, goes down? Um, you know, testing different service levels. Does this mean we need 10 warehouses or five? You know, having a digital twin allows you to just do that yourself. Yeah. You don't have to have the consultants coming in. Yeah. Uh, so you should have that ability in the house. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, you've got a couple of smart people running these systems in-house. You can say, hang on, what if demand goes up next week by 20% rather than 10%? You know, mm -hmm. give me the solution. Yep, yep. You know, it's, it's, I suddenly had this mental picture of the U-boat commander, you know, looking right. through the periscope, <laughs> you know? Right, it's right. Of, Three and a half thousand yards, 140 degrees, plot the yeah. solution. You know? Yeah, abso oh, absolutely. The scenario planning all of a sudden becomes a whole different ballgame when you've got a digital twin, you know, kind of laid out. You can begin to do some, some uh, you know, game theory and scenario planning, you know, with that in place on top of just managing the real-time effects of what's going on uh, within that uh, area. Exactly. There. You know, and you, you need that ability to say, hey, we're going to run out of truck trucks next Tuesday or you right. know, we're going to be full by Monday. And, and I think, you know, another thing I'd love your thoughts on this too, is this crowd, the supply chain group, even with the new people coming in, they're still very, um, if I look at the personas within an enterprise, supply chain people are very practical, you know, tell me, tell me, you know, in, 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 in the most concise way, what I need to do to get things done, right? I don't need a bunch of flowery stuff. I can need practical knowledge because I live in a world that's very practical. It's just, you know, I need to get stuff and need to get my job done. So with that, that's why I'm kind of driving into this. You know, it, you know, is there is that practical kind of potential, you know, Kickstarter to this whole engagement of technology and is is you know, digital twinning, right? That moves up into um, you know the other layers that we talk about. 
you know, how do you, how do you see that as in getting people started? How do you give them those nuggets, those sound bites that they want, which is like, you know, I, I need a plan to get going, right? Like, is there anything that you've drawn up in your consultant's playbook that says, okay, here's the three or four step plan to be, to begin your digital transformation journey. Um, you know, wh wh where do you start that with them? How do you get them to that place? Well, I, I, I think that's honestly a really different, difficult question because every business is so different. Yeah. Uh, depending on size, on market, on geography, uh, you know, on cost, customer expectation, um, it, it would be very hard to come up with a with a game plan. I think that that fixes everybody. Um, for some businesses, it means really focus on your demand planning, get that right, get a handle on your inventory. Uh, right. For some businesses, it means have a have really good visibility of your outbound distribution. Um, for others, it can be let's make sure that we we really monitor at a detailed level throughputs through our distribution centres so that we we understand you know to three decimal places the impact mm -hmm. of increased demand and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I I I tend to say to most businesses. Do a quick review of your end-to-end -end supply chain and, and look yep. at the pain points and really focus on those initially. Right. Um, in fact, coming back to that webinar this morning, you know, um, I was showing people how to do this this very sort of high-level back-of-the-envelope cost-to-serve analysis, and that that was aimed at pinpointing where's the biggest opportunity. Okay. And I think it's the same with technology and digital twinning. Start at the biggest pain point where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. Right. Right, right. Okay, and, and I think that's that 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 that's that spot on. Let me let me let me shift a little bit in this because there's another hot topic that that's coming up now, and I know you've you've had a chance to speak with uh, uh, the famous or infamous Deborah Dull. Uh, I saw that, right? She's awesome. Um, but you know, where are you on what what how circularity and sustainability fits into this conversation? Right. That that's a hot topic right now. That's sort of happening in parallel to all this supply chain transformation that's going on. But I'm not sure people have really connected the two. They kind of know like, oh, circularity is great. Recycling is great. I want to do that. But again, there's not been a concrete kind of connection. I know Deborah's got thoughts on it. I've got some thoughts on it. But I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on, on circularity and sustainability and the role it plays in supply chain moving forward. I, th I think over the last couple of years, there's been a great deal of greenwashing around. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> people wanted to look like they were sustainable. Um, you know, the public is now starting to realize which industries are not as sustainable as, as they thought. Yep. Um, you know, fast fashion has come under a lot of scrutiny recently. And, yeah. you know, if, you, if you've seen any of the, uh, the reports and documentaries on that, you know, you would not believe how polluting cotton manufacturing is, you know, making clothes right. out of cotton. Right. So I, I think that's something that, you know, the public have become so much more aware of. Um, I think the last six months, they've become a lot more aware of the supply chain and how it operates. But there was this wave building over the last couple of years um, where it was almost fashionable to, to want to buy, you know, um, sustainably produced products uh, and, and so on. That hasn't gone away. So all of that got got pushed off to the side a little bit back in March because businesses were just focusing on survival and trying to maintain their supply chains operationally. Now that things have settled down a little bit, although we're still in a very volatile environment, we can start now to look ahead a little bit and we, ha we have to start looking at greater circularity and sustainability in our supply chains because our consumers are going to be demanding it more mm -hmm. and more. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people say it, it, it sounds a bit wishy-washy, but some people are saying, you know, the pandemic was the, was the dress rehearsal for what's coming next, yeah. um, which is, you know, global change and yep. environmental change. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a tree hugger or, you know, one of these that says the sky's going to fall in tomorrow because we're polluting too much, but hey, it's happening. And, right. and companies need to really get on board that now. It's not just about putting solar panels on the roof of your warehouse anymore. Uh, I think one of the critical areas that companies have got to look at is their sourcing. Mm-hmm. Where are you sourcing your products from? Where are those raw materials coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just about, um, you know, modern slavery and this sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's the impacts on the environment of the raw materials that are going into your products mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. products, you know, once yep. they've finished their life cycle. And, and I, think, I think we're going to see a real increase um, in our markets probably you know not till next year as, as yep. people are kind of getting over the current environment but there's going to be much more increased demand then to for people to be saying you know where are your products coming from i want to see on the labels don't mm-hmm. tell me that this um this coffee is you know fair trade coming from kenya i, I want to know sort of a couple of levels back from that yeah that, yep. that all of the inputs are sustainable as well and and how much uh, of your product is you know, made from recycling, you've got recycled packaging or sure. whatever it might be. Sure. So I, I think there's going to be a huge push uh, over the next couple of years in that. Well, let me, let me ask a, a follow-on question that would be then, you know, when we look at circularity or, or I look at circularity, right, I actually look at the business value that is generated through a properly run circular program, meaning you know, when I'm done with most of my things, my assets within my business, if I haven't sold them off as products, you know, I can sell those things, which I don't generally do anyways, right, in most industries. And there's a lot of money to be made there, right? I mean, let's, let's, let's you know, as we put out in a chart, and I'm sure you've seen it, but you know, the global 2000s are sitting on $189 trillion worth of assets. That's a mm. pretty big asset base, right? They, they should be monetizing the assets on the disposition side, the selling side, which most don't, right? But there's a lot of free cash sitting there. And all that money they generate through the selling of those assets is 100% margin dollars. Those are fully depreciated assets. So, you know, I like to lead with, it's actually a proper business decision. It just so happens to be that it's circularity leading to sustainability. Yeah, I'd agree 100% 100 with that. But businesses don't think like that. Right, right, right. which is amazing it's like hey hey let me let me help you make more money and they're like well well, no 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 but it's a it's a change in focus right uh, and it requires education and and it requires it requires people to come along and say hey look mr cfo look at the dollars (laughs) that you can get if you adopt you know this new process in in whatever part of your supply chain right Um, they've got to be shown the dollars so you know if um i'm i'm trying to think uh, years back working with a technology company where they were looking at returned product. Should, should we bring it all the way from Western Australia back to Sydney for destruction? No, that doesn't make sense. We'll, we'll get it written off over in uh, Western Australia and it'll go into landfill or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've got to be able to show companies that the cost of bringing that back, refurbishing it, you know, on the East Coast, uh, reselling it, re, you know, reusing parts or whatever is worthwhile. Yep. And, 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 and we've got to be sure that it stacks up. We've, yep. we've got to be able to show that business case that, you know, it works. Right. Um, and, right. I, and I think that's probably going to be the biggest challenge. 
And, and, and let, let, let me, and I think you're absolutely right, right? It's got to be an economic decision, not a, you know, environmental decision, right? Lead with the economics, especially for businesses, you know, they're for-profit businesses, that's their main function. But as we're saying here, you can be profitable and sustainable. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive, right? Oh, we have to tie okay. that connection for them. And I, I, you know, whether you're saying it or Deborah's saying it or that, you know, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation that's out there kind of beating this drum, it seems like that, you know, because I, I go back to your description earlier where people are looking at the source of the raw materials. Of course, that's super important. I would contend though, that the biggest impact is in circularity, right? Where if you actually focus on proper circularity, you invariably then are going to alleviate the need for net new resources. So you're gonna stop pulling natural resources out of the ground if we truly take advantage of the circularity within the enterprise supply chain, Absolutely. right? Um, so, so, okay, so that's, and then, well, that, that's, 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 that's a rather of, interesting angle though, and, and, yeah. it's, and it's actually targeting the consumer and getting them to buy more sensibly. Yep. Yeah. Um, I came across a fantastic um, video the other day. Um, the lady was a fashion influencer, if you like, and it was all about sustainability in the fashion industry. Um, and she's convincing her audience to buy less clothes, buy better quality, buy less. Yep. And you know, you're going to be helping the environment. Yeah. And, and also don't buy synthetic clothes, you know, right. buy linen, which is far less of a, uh, you know, there's far less pollution in the production of those garments. Right. Um, so, so I think we've got to educate the consumer as well. Right. So you know, don't buy those products because it's really hard to make them out of recycled product or, you know, there's no way of re recycling them. Um, so I think it's educating the consumer. It's also educating the manufacturers and, and the producers. Do you, do you have an example? Let me, let me ask a question to, 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 to highlight here. So is there a particular industry or a particular company that today you would look at and say, yep, this is sort of the flagship I use as an example in good supply chain practices, right? They're sort of leading that charge. Do you, do you have examples of the, whether it's an industry or a particular company or companies that you use as sort of here's the, here's the benchmark that, that we're sort of mapping against or they're leading that charge? I have to confess, I don't. I there was so there's there's a, a reason for asking that question, right? Because I that. exactly that that's exactly why, yeah. right? I mean, because I think that also shows the opportunity here. This is a universal problem across all supply chains, across all industries. It's it's no one should feel like they're alone in this, or you know they've missed mm. out on something. It's no, a common no, no, problem. Not at all. We we can all name companies. I mean, a friend of mine runs a tea company, which is. Uh, you know, it's fair trade tea from whatever country and, and recycled packaging and all of those great things. I don't know enough about her business end to end to be able to say hand on heart, you know, they're an icon. Right. Because there may be bits of the business where it's not actually that sustainable. Right. Um, so, so maybe we start, we should start having sustainability audits and circularity audits and, you know, for I, I, ISO 9000 and whatever, you know. I think you're onto something. I mean, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there should be, right, some audit trail that shows in the transparency around how much you are, you know, uh, facilitating circularity, right, through mm -hmm. your business, and you should be incented to do so. You know, not, again, <laughs> if, if more profitability or better margin for your business is not incentive enough, you know, let's give you some... <laughs> some more incentives in some way, shape or form. That's the bottom line. You, right. you, you've got to show businesses that it's, it's worthwhile them doing that. 
Right, right. Now, now let me let me kind of also kind of you know start doing the the look forward a little bit. So you know, as, as we're coming out of COVID, we're kind of you know, gosh, only knows is it the next six months, nine months, twelve months, whatever. The whole new world's gonna be changed. But you know, certainly coming into twenty twenty one or ending twenty twenty here, I think I think there's a there's a corner we're turning, right? So you know, we're loosening up. Things are happening. What are you seeing coming into twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two as sort of the themes for supply chain because I, I I you know would contend again we've entered what what we've called and I think you've even said it similarly we've entered the decade of supply chain you know 2020 regardless of covid we were coming into this natural inertia natural businesses were all kind of over the last three four five years starting to focus on supply chain that's coming in that was pre-covid now it's it's all that so you know the next 10 years there's gonna be a lot of changes in supply chain a lot and certainly over the next couple of years how do you see that starting over the next year or two? What, what do you see as sort of the couple things that people could take away and say, yeah, we should start seeing that in the supply chain, whether it's the organization, the people, the technology, or are there any themes that you look at over the next, you know? Yeah, look, I, I think the key themes going forward are, are probably flexibility okay. um, in channels to market. I mean, we've seen that particularly over the last six months. Um, companies have had to very quickly service um, through channels that they maybe traditionally hadn't. Yep. And that's a really, really good practice, folks, because you should be servicing through all sorts of different channels to reach your market anyway. So that, mm -hmm. now that's been forced. Um, so flexibility there in channels to market, in planning, we talked about you know the forecasting and the fact it's always wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think in, in use of assets such as warehousing and trucks. So um, I, I reckon in distribution centers going forward, we're going to see a lot less large capital equipment and fixed assets so gradually i think we'll see, we're going to see the decline of those rows and rows of pallet racking um you know it's going to become much more flexible and with with use of robotics and agvs and so on mm -hmm. um, so that we can reconfigure our storage at will mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot you can do with a twenty thousand pallet warehouse once it's full of stuff it's very right. hard to, to relay it and to, to reorganize it um, and, and the same in trucks, you know, I hate to use that term Uberization, but, you know, we've seen that in trucking now. Yep. Um, I, I, I'm getting home deliveries here from people who are obviously doing something else during the day and, yep. and they're doing a couple of hours delivering packages in the evening. Yep. Um, so all of that's going to be giving us flexibility and multiple sourcing and so on. Mm -hmm. um, visibility, I think, is a key one. And we, we've touched on that. Uh, visibility of inbound product, of inventory, of demand and real demand. I think that's the key. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's not historical demand and what we think we're going to sell. Um, I, I was talking to a, a lady recently uh, in the pharmaceutical sector who, who shared a wonderful example of seeing false demand. Uh, and I won't say what the product was, but um, let's just say it was a, a medication for, for people with this particular dis disability. Um, and if those people got COVID, uh, they were more at risk. So mm -hmm. hospitals were stocking up on this particular medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, the patients with this condition were stocking up on this medicine. And somehow someone must have, I don't know <laughs> who it was, but someone obviously went online and said, hey, this particular medicine might help with COVID. And so people were buying it for that. Um, and so there had to be restrictions placed on, on the medicine. Um, and, and so they were trying to forecast, what are we actually going to sell in the future? Because mm -hmm. these people are buying it, they're never going to use it. These people are buying it and it's probably going to sit on the shelf. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I think in terms of, you know, demand planning going forward and visibility generally, mm-hmm. we've got to be able to see what that true demand is. Um, so flexibility, visibility, and, and probably analytics. And again, we've yep. talked about that. Predictive yep. analytics particularly. Yep. What about manufacturing just as far? I mean, one of the things that people are talking a lot about right now, and rightly so, is the role of China, right? And it, I mean, let's just call it for what it is. I mean, China, East Asian you know, countries, whatever, they've been the hub of you know, cheap labor, right? And therefore they kind of dominate the manufacturing sector from a, from a pure manufacturing, but that's going to change, right? That, it has to change, right? In light of everything. How do you see that playing out over the next few years? Because that's, that's a big, that's a big reconfiguration of the global supply chain. You know, if, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, but maybe you do, but I'm, if I had to look at it and say, we're, you know, if I looked at all manufactured products, of, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making the point here, but 50, 60% probably come out of China, you know, well, it's, it's going to I mean, be something like that, I'm sure. It's, it's huge. It's a big number. Yeah, right. And, and we have um, to get that to 10% or 20% and redistribute manufacturing. Mm-hmm. How does that play out? I mean, how do you see that playing out? It's hard. And yeah. uh, this is probably the most asked question I've had over the last few months. Yep. Will people change their sourcing strategies? Um, smaller companies can, are probably more nimble and agile and can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as a general principle, companies are definitely looking at diversifying their supply base. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we might still be buying from China, but I want to have a secondary source of supply as well. Mm-hmm. That's kind of just common sense. And, and also it's a question of, okay, I'm getting my products out of this factory in China, but where are they getting their raw materials? Mm-hmm. I, and I've got to look back or further back into the supply chain to, uh, mm-hmm. to mitigate any risk there. There are major retailers particularly who, who are getting the bulk of their product out of China, can they switch? Jeez, that's hard to do. Yeah. Um, well, well no. let, me ask, let me ask a different, different way of asking the same question. So if money weren't the object, well, obviously money, but you know, if we distilled it down to the core elements of what China has as a lock, it's, it, you know, it's cheap labor, right? I mean, it's, it's cheap, cheap, but, it's, but, it's, but skilled, but skilled to be fair. But also right? scaled. Yeah, and scale, correct. Okay, so the, if those are the attributes, then does any other area, region, or country have a shot at displacing some of that, right? Is there anybody that's Absolutely. sort of the front? And, yeah. and the one that comes straight to mind is India. Okay, yep. Right. Um, and, yep. and we've seen Bangladesh in the garment industry. Um, I've read recently about um, Egypt, their garment yep. industry, uh, you know, increasing and apparently they're really good and the, you yep. know the cost makes sense yep. um so i think what we're, we're not going to suddenly see half of the manufacturing taken away from china and sent elsewhere right but i would expect to see a slow decline right um, and as we take some product to other sourcing locations um and i know there are active you know there are companies actively looking at taking their factories out of china and bringing them home right well, let me, let me ask a slightly, again, another, another way to get asked the same question, because the role of technology and transparency is almost going to mandate that the corporate heads want to see into their supply chain. They want to see where all those things are. So that's going to require, like we talk about digital twinning, kind of a fully enabled manufacturing facility. And when it comes to privacy and data, that's one of the things that China has, you know, there's some challenges there, right? So is that another forcing function? Because I don't, I don't see China playing well in a fully digital world, right? Letting all that information get out, which is gonna be a requirement to have transparency. Is that yet another forcing function 
to rethink well, whether I, I, I think it's a I think it's a factor. I'm not sure if it's going to be top three. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it really comes down to to costs. That's that's yep. going to be a big change. Yep. But yep. you know, if if you're buying ninety percent of your product currently out of China. Gee, you know, you, you're going to have a look at some product ranges and say, well, okay, that one we can switch to India. This one maybe we'll switch to Bangladesh. You know, yep. you, you're going to erode that gradually, yep. uh, either with complete product lines or dual sourcing. Yep. Uh, but I, but I, I think sourcing out of China is so compelling still in terms of cost, scale, all of those things. It would be, you know, we're not going to see a sudden collapse of sourcing. Yep. Oh, no, no, I think you're right. It's a, it's a slow erosion. All right. Well, just because we got a lot last few minutes here and I want to I want to shift back to you for a second. What what's what's in store for you and your consultancy? What are you, what are you doing on a personal level, you know, over the next year with even your consulting practice and whatever? What's what's in store for for what you've got going on? Well, you know, going right back to the the sort of earlier question, um, a lot of what we do is still what we what we were doing twenty years ago, and I don't want that to sound like, hey, these guys haven't moved on. It's not a question of that at all. It's, it's yeah. the market is demanding, um, but I suppose where the interesting bit is. Um, we're, we're really expanding our capabilities in terms of online and remote consulting. Um, and the pandemic has really brought that to the fore. We're, we're used to working online anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we might be based here in Australia. We, we have offices in New Zealand and Thailand as well. Um, but we, we do projects all around the world. You know, yep. we projects in Mongolia and the Middle East. Um, and a lot of that work is done remotely. What's happened over the last few months is people have got used to working remotely. Right. Well, <laughs> we knew that, guys. It, it works. It works fine. Right. Um, so now, now what we're finding is that we 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 really do have a global reach. So, um, you know, we have clients in the US and all over the place, and, right. and they're they're much happier to to deal with us remotely. Right. Um, hand in hand with that, what what we're finding is that there's a great demand for simple, quick analytical diagnostic tools okay. um, and that's what we're helping a lot of our remote clients with now oh, um, so what what's you know we've got this inventory problem we've got this planning problem you know have a look at our supply chain planning process uh, and we're able to do that now in a matter of days remotely oh that's awesome that's awesome well you know on that note i you know again thank you so much for spending some time here want to be respectful also of the time for uh, what we've got is, and we could keep going. I have imagined we could we'd spend hours on this. Uh, yeah, probably half here. the listeners have fallen asleep. <laughs> right, right. So listen, it's fabulous. Really appreciate the time. Real pleasure to chat. Thank you so much. Great talking to you.